The Thursday edition of Locked on NBA is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Thursday edition, Locked on NBA. David Locke along with Ben Golliver. Ben, how are you today? I'm good, Locke. I feel like we were counting down the days until the NBA would finally release that health and safety protocol for Orlando. Uh, I came down, uh, I guess, yesterday uh, and, you know, just paging through more than 100 pages of details and procedures and everything else. I think my first takeaway was that, you know, this is sort of a process-based approach to everything, and it just made me wonder if we had such a thorough approach from our uh, coronavirus task force maybe our country would be in a little bit uh, of a different place. But I I think overall pretty comprehensive, thorough document from the league talking about all aspects of players' lives in Orlando, uh, the gameplay, the game day experience, whether it's the meals, the media sessions, and everything else. I mean, they really, you know, pinned down a lot. And as somebody who was kind of waiting and waiting on that, I got to say I was uh, pleasantly surprised with what they came up with. All right, so let me back up a step. I got asked a really interesting question today. The question was, if you're going to start in December of next year, what's different today that means you have to go to Orlando compared to starting next that's going to be different in December that allows you to start in a regular season? Personally, I'm of the opinion that they're probably going to have to be back in a bubble for next season uh, because, you know, from a travel perspective, the risk is still going to be high at that point. Uh, we're anticipating them probably not having a vaccine at that point. Are you going to add all the layers of risk that are involved in traveling from arena to arena when you can't even play in front of fans? Uh, to me, it's possible that this winds up being, uh, you know, a, a test drive, so to speak. And maybe you have more than one bubble, you know, maybe you can set up in, in multiple locations, sort of like hockey's going to do multiple hub cities. Uh, but I, I think we could probably save next year's problem for next year, but you know, personally, I'm I'm anticipating a modified season or schedule for next season as well. But I think that's really, really important to this because I haven't heard that talked about a lot from people. But I think the and and you and I kind of got into whether they were being irresponsible in pushing forward with this uh, two weeks ago. We did not take the hiatus last week because we don't like each other anymore. That was because of the Black Lives Matters roundtable. It had nothing to do with our spat the week before. Um, but I think one of the <laughs> Wait, do, I, do I need to deny I'm licking my wounds? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, I just you know we people. I, I suddenly realized like we had our little spat and then we didn't do a show. But luckily, I think people got it. But I think that's maybe the most important part of this whole experiment and that's truly what this is is an experiment to because i think that they need to have a fallback even if they try next year in the arenas maybe even with fans and it begins to go awry then if this works they know they can pull back to that in some ways i think that's what is so important to this process and why these details are so pertinent is because it is so important what happens in December, possibly, or maybe January, or you know when the maybe we end up with the flu and COVID at the same time in January, and they've got to pull back into the bubble having started somewhere else. I think that's what makes all of this so important, whether it works or doesn't. Well, one thing I'd say is that there was no easy fallback solution. So let's say they did just try to cancel this this summer and they just take the hit on it, right? Um, and cancel 2019-2020. The idea that they were going to be able to start up at anything looking like normal in October 
where you can just sort of get back on your normal timeline was not going to happen at all. And like you're saying, if you were going to try to even start up in a delayed situation in December, that season might not look normal at all. And you run into a question where how far can you delay the start of next season to try to avoid COVID before you start running into things like the Olympics and your other uh, schedule crunches, you know, for the, the following summer. So I think that they felt some heat and felt some pressure of trying to get something done this year for multiple different reasons. Obviously, there's the completion factor. You want to be able to crown a champion if you can. Obviously, there's the recoup the television money factor, uh, which is hanging over all of this. I mean, billions of dollars are at stake here with the Orlando experiment. But there's also the idea that, uh, you know, your league's in a real crisis moment here. If you can't play basketball in any fashion uh, with in front of fans for, say, 18 months, which is, you know, potentially possible if you go back from, like, last, you know, this past March all the way to the, you know, the start of, say, the 2021-2022 season – that's a major, major financial hit that's going to take years to dig out of. And so, of course, they had a lot of reasons to try to do something here. And I guess my point is, uh, with the health protocol, it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they rushed into it, right? It doesn't seem like they were slapping this together because they felt the heat. It really does seem like, to me, that they were deliberate, that they considered every aspect of a player's life. And they're trying to lay things out uh, you know, in a very prudent fashion. Now, the big question remains are the players going to be okay with it? I mean, there's a lot of restrictions on their uh, quality of life. There's no way of getting around that. Um, of course, they're going to be compensated for their time down in Orlando. So that's a motivating factor for them. Um, but I think that, you know, from the health and safety side, you know, to me, again, they, they did what they needed to do. You have been skeptical at best. I think, is that a fair, like you've been skeptical of whether this is going to work. Um, how do you feel now? What's your thought on whether this is going to work? Well, I mean, it's really difficult to make a prediction on whether or not it's going to work. Um, I would because, you know, it only takes, you know, one person breaking one rule at the wrong possible time. I mean, the and and the potential risk of spreading is, is very high, but they built in a lot of really smart protections. Um, one thing that's interesting to me is that they do have three separate hotel situations where, uh, you know, you are keeping groups of players separated from each other. So let's say there was an outbreak with one team, you know, you, you would still most likely be in a situation where probably two thirds of the remaining players would be at least isolated from a hotel standpoint from, uh, you know, a potential outbreak, which is good. I mean, that could help you salvage the playoffs in, a, in an absolute worst case scenario. Um, I think that what I, what most stuck out to me was what they're trying to do with the thoroughness of best practices of masks and social distancing. I mean, they're making it very clear to these guys, like if you're not involved in playing the games, if you're not involved in playing a practice, you need to be having the mask on. If you're traveling to and from the gym, um, you've got to have that mask on. If you're walking around the Disney world campus, you've got to be socially distanced. If you're trying to, uh, you know, watch a movie with your teammates, there's got to be distance. If you're playing cards, you got to have masks on. I mean, it's, it's really to a, a finite detail where uh, they're saying what's okay, what's not okay. They're also equipping these guys with different technological solutions if they want them to potentially provide early warning data to doctors about their, their risk for COVID, which I think is incredible. And, uh, you know, it's forward thinking on that standpoint. Uh, the trick, though, is that the gameplay, you can't socially distance an actual game. There's going to be full contact and, and close proximity with the actual game. And you will have high risk coaches, uh, you know, in those environments where they won't be wearing masks during games. And so that that's really where the risk factor comes, but they've eliminated a lot of the other potential risks by keeping this to a single site. 
by restricting who has access to the players very severely. And that was probably the most impressive part of the entire thing is just how few people will come into contact with players. I don't think they need to worry about the Disney World staffers cleaning their room. They're never going to be in the same room with those people. So that part seems to me like it was a little bit of a red herring last week. Um, and there's just also going to be a lot of media members down there who won't have direct access to players from, you know, uh, not at least not within six feet. So, again, there, there's a limited risk factor there. So if the players can stick to the script, if they can stay healthy and, and on track, they've got a pretty good shot at it. And I think that's why you're seeing, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci himself come out this week and say it's a creative solution. Uh, they've approached this thing the right way. Um, they're not cutting corners and they're giving themselves the best shot to have success. Um, I think that the, the thing that we just should point out is that the margin of error is very small. You know, it only takes one to kind of set things off, and, and hopefully that doesn't, it doesn't come to that. It's interesting to me with all of the testing that they're going to be doing. I mean, if they're really testing every day and you're doing I, – I'm, I'm trying to understand – I mean, I guess it's just precaution, right? Like – I need a better understanding of, of how you prevent this disease because if we know everyone's negative every day, you're, what you're fighting against is that somehow the, disease, the virus sneaks in from a worker, I guess, that has interaction and somehow spreads in a day, right? Like that's, like I actually was trying to like write out like in my head, like so if you're testing every day, how does this like spread wildly and cause problems? I, I I would it feels as though that really that's the only scenario. And if you're testing every day and taking these precautions, I, I, I'm actually have some confidences, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the trick would be that um, the tests take a while to return results and the tests aren't 100 percent accurate. Right. Th that, those are the potential stumbling blocks. So if you have a guy who is asymptomatic, who you know ha is basically carrying and spreading the virus, but he, he doesn't test positive or it takes a while until he registers that positive test because he could be in a game situation or maybe he's in a game and a practice or maybe he's in a game and a practice in some sort of a shared dinner with another team where, you know, he could spread it to, you know, multiple of his teammates and coaching staff members, you know, or also opponents. And it could kind of take off from there. I mean, that's sort of the worst case scenario, but what you don't really have to worry about is these guys coming into contact with a hundred people who you might, you know, come into contact with say at a church service indoors um, or at, you know, some of these other outbreaks we've seen at, at a factory situation um, or, you know, a barber shop where you're having, you know, dozens of contacts in a short period of time with, you know, people from kind of all walks of life all over the city. That's going to be basically impossible. I mean, these guys are going to be very living a very isolated existence on the property within the hotels. They're going to be going in separate entrances of the gyms, um, you know, media members and even the owners who aren't part of those 35 uh, man uh, you know, team rosters, uh, those guys aren't even going to be able to come into contact with the players. So there's going to be all sorts of staff members who never get within six feet of uh, NBA players during the games. Um, and I think that, again, that's just a very important layer of protection for these guys um, as they proceed forward. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all your parts in the traditional chain front store so when you go to that chain front store for your car needs you just get what they have you don't get the whole selection that's what makes rockauto.com such a fabulous spot it's a family business serving auto part customers online for over 20 years rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers they have everything 
From engine control modules, brake pad parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. All the selection you could have, all the best items you can have, and you're not limited to what fits inside of a store. Plus, it's cheaper. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much on the same parts somewhere else? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on on their How Did You Hear About Us page box so that you know who sent you. That's rockauto.com. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice, and that's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to the local and national organizations that are fighting for change. In the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Ben Golliver, if... The Washington Post calls and says, we want you embedded for the entire three months. Are you in? We're looking at it. Um, Those conversations are ongoing. Um, I would, you know, I guess at this point, I'd say I'm kind of hopeful that that's where it ends up. Um, But uh, I don't want to speak too much on it. But certainly, um, you know, with, you know, taking into account kind of all the factors. I mean, to me, I think that the media uh, is arguably at a significantly lower risk than the players because we're never in contact with close contact with basically anyone uh, like you would have during gameplay. Um, the stipulations about wearing masks and social distancing on the campus kind of applies to everybody who comes on the campus, whether it's team employees or league employees or media members. So that's an excellent uh, you know starting point. It sounds like the meal situation is going to be set up. So there's no cafeterias, there's no buffets, you know, nothing where you're going to be in a situation like that. Um, it sounds like they're going to have that down to, to a science from the Disney standpoint. Um, and so those are kind of the major, um, you know, the major factors from a quality of life perspective. I don't need much more than a bed and a walking trail. And as far as I can tell, um, you know, that the both are going to be available to media members. So um, I don't have any major reservations at this point. And um, so we'll see how it shakes out. I think that those kinds of decisions in terms of media applications and uh, who's going to be in the bubble and and those kinds of uh, questions will be solved here or at least begin to be solved, I think, over the next week or so, from my understanding. June 24th is the day in which players have to notify their teams of whether or not they're not going to play. How many players that are healthy – Do you think across the league, so out of like 340 that are eligible to play, are going to notify their team that they don't want to go? That's what I don't want to speculate on because, you know, there's a lot of factors that could go into that. It could be, you know, family factors like, you know, having a child or, you know, being away from, you know, the people who are requiring on your daily presence. It could be, um, you know, political or activist reasons. Um, I think at this point, I'm expecting a vast majority of the players to be there. I think if, you know, there's a superstar level guy who's got uh, reservations or hesitations, um, it would have been probably good to to let that be known uh, by this point of the process. I do feel a little bit bad for these players because they're getting the full story about the health and safety stuff that we're describing with basically less than a week to really make their decision. Now, they have had communication, obviously, through the union over these last couple of weeks, but when you're really digging into the nitty gritty of what life's going to be like down there, they haven't had a ton of, ton of time to, uh, you know, process that information. 
I think ultimately, you know, this is team sports and a lot of players are going to feel an obligation not to let their teammates down to, uh, you know, go along with the program. If, if their best players are participating, it does seem like, you know, the majority, if not all of the superstar level guys are on board. Uh, you know, we've heard some guys express mixed emotions, like say a Damian Lillard, for example, but he also said at the same time, he doesn't feel hundred percent comfortable, you know, playing from a health standpoint, but he feels like it's a risk that he's willing to take. And I think, um, you know, a lot of guys recognize this is an opportunity too. I mean, they're going to be on national television every single night for hours for basically 80 straight days in the run up to the 2020 presidential election. It's not just about raising awareness because I think a lot of the issues these guys care about are on the front of everyone's mind right now, but it's about trying to make a, a real tangible difference. If you have a cause, uh, if you, whether you're trying to raise money for it, whether you're trying to, uh, bring a particular issue or uh, something like the voting rights, for example, with LeBron James and his new campaign. If you're really passionate about that and you want a stage, I mean, you're going to have it down in Orlando. There, there's no doubt about it. And I think uh, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver did a nice job of of pitching that benefit uh, this week when he was on the you know with ESPN talking about the return of sports. So I guess long story short, uh, I imagine there will be uh, people who sit out for all sorts of different reasons, but I'm expecting. Uh, you know, the vast majority of guys to sign up and do it. When you say vast majority, like I think it's going to be 98%, 99%. Ooh, I, I'm think winning. I think it's going to be very few players that don't go play. I, I might be totally wrong on this, but I think one, looking your teammates in the eye the, when training camp opens next year, if you didn't come, unless you've got an incredibly clear health reason, or if you're a free agent, labeling yourself that way is going to be prohibitive to players, and they're gonna and they're gonna go play. In other words, you think that they are, they would fear reprisal? Yeah, not not reprisal like in the sense of. Like, the locker room, like, wow, we all went and you didn't. Really? So, like, now you're good? Like, I think that moment in the locker room. I think the concern, whether it's legitimate or not, but the player's own concern of what the league would say about them if they're going into free agency or their agent's concern might not be might not be actually well-founded, I'm not, I, I don't know that, but I think that concern is real. Well, look, the money is very real too. I don't think we should underestimate it. You know, like, especially like Ed Davis made this point, you know, he's basically making like mid-level or, or lower money for a lot of his career. I mean, those are hundreds of thousands of dollars you're getting uh, that you otherwise would, you had expected that you would be missing out on if you stayed home. And I think that's a, mo- a motivating factor uh, for basically everyone. I guess I'd put it this way. Uh, I respect Kyrie Irving a lot for raising the issue and, and sort of taking the arrows and being the one who, um, you know, put himself out there to try to stand up for players who might have hesitations for a variety of reasons and at least leading the internal conversation about what sitting out might look like or how they could do it or what they might be able to talk to the NBA about in terms of, hey, can you take care of A, B, and C for us, uh, you know, just to make us feel, sa- you know, feel better about it and, and going forward with a, a positive mentality. But I think ultimately, like, they didn't necessarily plan that situation out 
in full. They didn't have a list of things. Hey, here's exactly what we're looking for from the league. Um, it didn't seem like they just executed maybe the uh, the protest part uh, quite as well as they could have if they were going to do a situation where it was going to be like a mass, you know, a mass walkout or a mass stay home. Uh, and so I guess, you know, from that standpoint, I, I don't expect like 80 people to, to not be there or however many guys were on that call last week. I think a lot of the people who are on that call probably have reservations about doing it, but will probably, you know, come over to the side that you're describing where they, they do feel the peer pressure to show up. Um, and they do feel like, hey, the NBA did a good enough job of addressing our security concerns. We're all in this together. We're getting paid. Uh, you know, it's not going to be the, the world's, uh, you know, most comfortable living existence, you know, for seven weeks or so. But, um, you know, at, at least uh, we'll be in it together. Gameplay. Let's talk about gameplay. We continue today's show brought to you in part by Built Bar. Incredible effort here by Built Bar. This is really cool. Inventory closeout, inventory closeout sale up to 50% out of everything. And 100% of the profits will be donated to organizations that support education, poverty, equality, and ending hate and racism. They have 8 million bars. Ben, you cannot eat all of them. Eight, that at 100 percent of the profits from those eight million bars will be going to the following groups: Black Girls Code, Black Girls Code, Petty, uh, Pretty Brown Girl, Five Twelve, Common Ground Foundation, Innocent Project. So listen, learn, love. That's what Built Bar is all about. Be part of the change. Eight million remaining bars, up to fifty percent off, with a hundred percent of the profits going to those places we talked about all of which that are support education poverty poverty equality and ending hate and racism built bar making the protein bar feel like a candy bar with great taste fabulous flavors plus incredible macros you've got 110 calories four grams of fat five net carbs and only four grams of sugar compare that to the leading men's bar out there you've got that bar has 140 more calories has seven times the net carbs and seven times the sugar with less protein builtbar.com locked on is the promo code and a hundred percent of the profits are going to support the organizations that support education poverty equality and ending hate and racism we've beginning to get an idea what the campus is i still don't quite understand how large this thing is we'll get to that in a second What's the gameplay going to look like? So it's pretty interesting. Uh, first of all, no pregame media availability, so that's different. Uh, post-game only, and it's going to basically be limited to half an hour with press conferences or virtual interviews. Now, in terms of the games itself, themselves, there's a very thorough cleaning protocol for the basketball, very thorough uh, cleaning protocol for the stanchion, the backboard, the rim, the court service itself, the teams are going to be on their bench in basically two rows. In the front row, you're going to have active players, a head coach, and four assistants. They're going to be able to be there uh, with no masks during you know, pregame warm-ups, the game, uh, and immediately after the game. There's going to be a second row with your overflow players on your roster. You're going to be able to carry up to 17 players per team down there, so that's going to you know, lead to some players who are inactive. And then your other coaches uh, are going to be on that back row all with masks on your trainer is going to have a mask basically all your other team and uh you know ball boys are going to have masks the referees will not have masks uh the public address announcer obviously for his job will not be wearing a mask uh but you know other uh sideline personnel uh like the scorekeeper for example will keep a mask on 
Uh, so that will be different. During the game, they're trying to encourage guys, don't play with your mouth guard. Uh, they're trying to encourage guys not to, you know, snot rocket. Uh, they're trying to say, hey, don't exchange jerseys after the game um, not for obvious reasons there. Um, they're trying to limit some of the um, the behaviors that could be higher risk. Now, they're telling guys, look, we understand high fives, uh, you know, and, and hugs and that kind of thing during the game. Uh, that is going to be allowed. It won't be prohibited. But they are telling guys, hey, try to not do that when you're on campus. You know, don't do the the daps and the and the shoulder bumps and all that kind of stuff when you're walking around the campus. Uh, but during the game, they're going to try to keep that stuff, uh, you know, still legal. And then otherwise, uh, they're going to be going forward, you know, pretty much uh, like usual. Obviously, no fans in the stands. I think players will be able to, to attend um, other teams' games in a socially distant manner. There will be two sections of media during the game, uh, you know, one that's going to be able to have access to press conferences, the other – that will sort of be, uh, you know, removed from the players completely and never really having any sort of uh, contact with them. Um, and then, of course, you know, no locker room stuff for the media. And then the players will be showering after games back at their hotels. Um, so that that's also something di- distant, uh, different, rather. And then, you know, to and from the games, players are going to be wearing masks on the bus um, as well. And then in terms of the meals, there won't be those, you know, the typical – team meal, you know, spread in the locker room, uh, that, that's not going to be flying anymore. You'll be back to your hotel and having your, you know, your, your meal, uh, in basically, you know, kind of single serve type, uh, format, uh, you know, from the Disney chefs who will be providing it. Do you, I, 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 this may be impossible to ask, but like, do you have a feeling like what the buy-in on this is going to be? I mean, they're asking, a lot of young guys who to to buy in at a pretty high level. I mean, it's hard to hard to answer that question, I guess. But what's your feeling? Well, I'm concerned about the gameplay for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, number one, there's been so much time off, right? Number two, you're throwing all these different variables at guys. Number three, you might have some players who don't show up. And as we know, it only takes one guy. It doesn't even have to be an important player. Just one rotation guy to kind of throw off everybody's role, right? Uh, another thing to consider would be that we were coming out just after the all-star break, the trade deadline and, and the, the buyout season. So there was, you know, some level of player movement on various teams and those guys never really got acclimated down the stretch of the season before the playoffs. So that's going to be a little bit different. Uh, you're going to definitely have some players who were not in shape because they never thought the NBA was going to come back. I, I've heard about some of those players. Um, you're going to have some guys who are concerned about uh, injuries because of contract situations for sure. And you're going to have a lot of players, frankly, who are on teams that are just losing teams. Nine of the 22 teams that are going to be down in Orlando are losing teams right now. And, you know, generally losing teams don't make a real impact in the traditional playoffs. So, they're going to be down there for more than a month playing relatively meaningless games, trying to compete into the playoffs, but really just sort of, you know, doing it for television. A lot of them are going to be going home pretty quickly. And if you start off slow, you know, say you lose your first couple of games out of the eight, your team could be mathematically eliminated, you know, from the, uh, the play in chase, you know, practically. And then it's a question of what do these guys have to play for? And it could turn into a situation like summer league where, you know, guys get shut down for minor injury issues just to kind of prevent them and, and save them. And, you know, in some cases, you could imagine maybe guys would be going home early uh, from the bubble in, in that kind of a, a setup. So I'm concerned about the quality of play for sure. My major thing is that we know we have some really good teams in this league. Like, we know we can have the conference semifinals, conference finals, and finals be composed of really high level teams that can really get after it and play basketball. But we've got to spend an entire month 
And they've got to spend really a month and a half in sort of quarantine-like environment before we get to that stage. And that's a lot of time. And uh, it's going to drag on these players. It's going to wear on them in different ways, whether it's being away from their loved ones, being away from girlfriends, uh, being away from, you know, just truly being able to burn off stress after a tough loss um, and being confined you know, to a hotel room where you're not used to that uh, in, in to quite the same degree. It's going to impact their play and their happiness. I don't see any way around it. Um, I will say, despite all that, as somebody who goes to summer league and spends, you know, all day, every day watching basketball there, I think the basketball junkies will shine through here, right? The people who really love the game, who are fully invested in it, who are willing to play kind of any place, any time. I think those are the types of players and teams that are going to be able to thrive in this environment, even if it's ugly basketball. And even if it's the kind of thing where we're all sitting around saying, wait a minute, like, why do we invite the Washington Wizards and the Phoenix Suns again? Like, what are they even doing here? Um, you know, I'm still uh, hopeful that once it all shakes out, we'll get some quality basketball. Uh, what is the, like, how big, when, answer two questions. How big is this area? I mean, there's two golf courses on it from what I hear. And will there be anybody else in this area? So my understanding is that the entire Disney World campus, so this is not just where the, the NBA is going to be, but like the whole Disney World campus is equivalent in size or similar in size to like the island of Manhattan in New York, right? So it's massive. I mean, miles and miles and miles, right? Now there's going to be three separate player hotels and there's going to be three separate um, game gyms. And then there's going to be basically seven practice facilities, I think, total that they're going to have access to. So there's going to be a bunch of different facilities It'll be kind of similar to Vegas, except for, you know, even more, uh, you know, I guess uh, more venues total um, that, that they might see for Summer League. In terms of Disney World, it will be open. The other parts of Disney World will be open, but the players are going to be outfitted with basically bracelets that allow them, you know, exclusive access to certain venues and kind of keep other people out of those venues. Um, and then also they're going to be provided uh, you know, transportation to and from everything that they need to be doing. So I think they're going to be spending a lot of time at their hotels in the immediate vicinity of the hotels. There will be group activities. So, you know, if the team wants to go play golf or if they want to go on some other kind of an excursion, that will be coordinated through what they're calling the concierge VIP services. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of in intermingling and maybe no intermingling of uh, players with the general public uh, in an ideal world. Um, and if so, it will be very limited and socially distanced, uh, you know, basically at all times. Um, I think they're trying to turn those hotel properties basically into like forts um, where, you know, you don't have to worry about just, you know, random tourists, you know, with khaki shorts, just strolling through the, the Lakers huddle and, and infecting them with coronavirus. I think that's going to be a non-starter. The thing I brought up to start the show is my item. That I don't think it's been talked about enough is how important this is for the future. For them trying to figure out how this can work. What is the item that you think is not being talked about enough in this regard? Or in any regard of this process? Not like, not related to what I just said, but in your item that you're like, I'm thinking this and nobody else is talking about it. Well, I think, you know, the, the start of next season is definitely an interesting question. I think the other one would be like, what is the impact to the, the basketball-related income? You know, how much revenue are they actually generating from this? I thought we got a very interesting admission from Adam Silver where he's saying, like, look, uh, if you look at the incremental gain of revenue from either playing these playoffs or not playing them, it's not nearly as big as some people think because there's an enormous expense involved in putting this on. And you can imagine, you have 22 teams, 375 players, all sorts of support staff. You've got to keep them secure, feed them, 
house them, um, you know, and, and clean up everything around them to make sure that it's disinfected and everything else. I mean, this is going to be a very, very expensive proposition for the NBA. And so you can imagine that they, they might be able to generate revenue, right? But maybe it's not profit. You know, it's a situation where a lot of cost is going to be sunk into this thing. So I think that's probably one aspect is you know, how much revenue they generate will determine directly what next year's salary cap looks like. And you've got players who are free agents coming up for contracts that sometimes are tied to the size of the salary cap. In the case of max contracts, you've got free agents who are just going to be looking for contracts uh, like any normal year. Um, and some guys who won't even be involved, like say an Andre Drummond uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, he's one of the higher profile free agents this summer. He's not going to get the opportunity to play here. And his earning power will be determined in large part by how successful this playoffs is because of how much money they can generate. Right. So uh, I think the financial side has still been um, undersold here a little bit, um, you know, just because we don't know what the damage is going to look like. And we probably won't know until after they complete the finals or they have to pull the plug on this thing because something goes wrong. Think it's going to work. Well, look, I hope for the best. You know, there, there's no question. Um, I, you're asking me questions that are, you know, above anybody's pay grade. I, I think everybody would hope it would work. Uh, I bet if you asked Adam Silver, you know, can you guarantee it's going to work? As he's told the players, um, you know, there's no 100% safety to this. And he's also, you know, made it pretty clear that this environment is potentially isn't for everybody. Um, and he's also made it clear that even if, you know, some people get sick, the, the games will go on. Um, so I guess it, it comes down to your definition of what it, will it work means. I think at this point, my definition of will it work is that nobody dies, right? And hopefully no careers are compromised by people getting so sick that, you know, it somehow alters the trajectory of their careers. That is what I hope for more than anything. And then, you know, next in line after that would be that they can crown a champion and that that champion, you know, is is perceived as valid by the uh, by the majority of fans. Because I think to me that's, that's why we play the games. That's why they're even trying to restart this thing in the first place. You don't want to see like six months of basketball go to waste. And, um, you know, in the, in the hierarchy of priorities, to me, those are the most important things. Ben Golliver, he is the Washington Post national NBA writer. He might end up in the bubble. That would be an interesting experience. I've said I would be willing. I don't have the choice. Um, but I, I have said I would have been willing to go just for the reporter standpoint of things, by the way, just to let you know. I've talked to other people who say they don't want to go. It's interesting to me. I would think as a reporter in this once, hopefully once in a lifetime experience, you'd want to see it. Yeah, I think a big part of the problem is just the cost, you know, um, and that, that's sort of the, the big question mark right now. I mean, living in the bubble, you're basically committing to three months of hotel rooms and food. And I'm sure there's a security cost involved with that. And it's kind of a monopoly, right? Because Disney is kind of running this whole thing. And so who knows where the price will come in. But, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of newsrooms that are having those kinds of conversations around the country, just saying, you know, is this something that can pencil out? How would you make it work? And then, um, you know, to me, I think I'm with you. The news value of this story is tremendous. Uh, you know, the, the unknowns should be kind of exciting to, you know, people who have that re reporter spirit. Um, you know, and it's just kind of unfortunate that there's not some way to make it, uh, you know, more attainable uh, for independent media. And I don't know any way to solve that. I mean, the media business has lots of problems right now, I think, as everybody realizes. Uh, and I think it's going to come through here. Um, no question about it, because I just think if you have a, a typical local paper with a beat writer, 
it's going to be very difficult to have that person cover this thing from inside the bubble from a financial standpoint. Ben Golliver, thank you very much. Appreciate your time as always. He joins us Thursdays here on Locked on NBA right now. Tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Hollinger and Duncan.